0: Hello, Dementia Matters podcast listeners. Thank you for returning to the podcast during this COVID-19 pandemic. I know you have a lot on your mind, and despite being at home, I know life is not easy. It's an understatement to say we are living in an extraordinary time, but whatever you want to call this ongoing experience, it is asking extraordinary things of us. And life doesn't just stop because of it, which is why this podcast continues. I want to pivot here on Dementia Matters and address important issues affecting those with cognitive impairment and those without during this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I cannot cover all the issues and frankly shouldn't. I encourage you to go to trusted sources for specific information such as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, your state and local health department websites, and the Alzheimer's Association. You can also find resources on our website, at adrc.wisc.edu, that's adrc.wisc.edu, and that of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute at wai.wisc.edu. For other interesting and important stories on the COVID-19 pandemic, I would recommend my colleague at UW Health, Dr. Jonathan Kohler of the Surgery Set Podcast, who has a special series called The Frontlines of COVID. We will include these links to all these resources in our show notes. For those of you affected by Alzheimer's disease or any cause of cognitive impairment, you know better than anyone that it takes a community to care for those affected and to work on the front lines of treatment, prevention, and cure. What we face with COVID-19 is no different. We all are needed in this fight, and I thank you for whatever it is that you're doing. Take care and be safe. My guest today on Dementia Matters is Ms. Jane DeBru, a caregiver program coordinator for Dane County, where she administers the National Family Caregiver Support Program. Jane's degree is in professional communications from Alverno College in Milwaukee, and she spent the first part of her career as a professional writer, editor, and marketer. In 2015, Jane completed a certificate in gerontology from the University of Washington, Seattle, and she retired from state service to pursue an encore career working with older adults. She continues to use the skills from her prior career by writing and publishing Caregiver Chronicles, the Dane County Caregivers Program monthly newsletter. Welcome, Jane, to Dementia Matters. Thank you. With the current COVID-19 pandemic, we are all facing new challenges. This has never been truer than for our listeners who are providing care to others. So in today's program, I want to focus on the National Family Caregiver Support Program. So to begin, what is the National Family Caregiver Support Program?
1: The National Family Caregiver Support Program provides funding for services and supports to help family members and to help other informal caregivers. So it doesn't need to be a spouse or a child. It could also be a neighbor or friend. And it helps with their ability to care for older adults who are living in their homes.
0: Oh, well, So it's a pretty broad array of, of people eligible for this. You do not have to be a family member explicitly.
1: Correct. And where does the program funding come from? The funding actually comes from the Older Americans Act. So it's Title III-E, and I know it doesn't mean tons to, other, to a lot of people, but it does provide programs, and it has been increased at this time. So as part of the CARES Act stimulus, Um, We are getting some additional funding, which is very positive. And it also lifts a cap. Uh, There was a 20% cap on supplemental services it can provide, like minor uh, home modifications or assistive devices. So that's another really positive development. And how has it been
0: impacted by COVID-19?
1: Well, there used to be many, I would say, stricter uh, parameters for what we could do with grant funding, and now we're trying to reach out and expand it to do more things that allow us to reach people in their homes to lessen isolation, and to not limit ourselves in quite as strict of ways so that we can really adapt to what people are needing in these really unusual circumstances. Well, that's really
0: good to hear. So we're able to reach more people during this time and more people need help, I imagine. Yes. And so what sorts of things does the program offer to people?
1: Well, the main thing that people have used it for, which is very important and helpful, are things like... Temporary respite where someone could get help with bathing, they could get housekeeping chores, um, adult day centers, and some caregiver self-care things so that caregivers can get out and get a break. Um, Unfortunately, that's changed a little bit in terms of people worrying about um, having people come into the home. We're trying to be creative with that right now. And also adult day centers and senior centers are closed right now. So we're trying to be very flexible in working with that. It can also do the supplemental services I was mentioning, uh, which are minor home modifications or adaptive equipment. So if someone needed a lift chair or a ramp to get into their house or grab bars in their shower, it can do that. Um, And then we do other supportive things like help refer people to support groups, um, to have options counseling with them for succession planning, let's say, A caregiver has to step out for a bit, who might be able to step in, and also just helping them in general get within the aging uh, network and access services.
0: What types of assistive devices are you seeing more people needing?
1: People often need, particularly if they're working um, in the constraints of um, having a home that's not been very well Uh, suited to aging in place, they are doing a lot more of things like maybe moving a laundry upstairs if that hookup isn't too difficult. Um, We have helped with things like the stair lifts, chair lifts, those kinds of things. Also, for folks who are working with a loved one who has Alzheimer's or dementia, we're seeing people who would like to use different kinds of alarms, personal emergency response. So all those things are, are among the possibilities for grant funding.
0: And you mentioned caregiver support groups, and even if they're not in-person, you know, there, there are other ways, of course, for people to, to connect with each other. Why do you think caregiver support groups are
1: so important, especially now? Well, I think, first of all, caregivers don't always identify themselves as caregivers. They're seeing you know, providing support to older adults is just sort of what family does for one another, but they may not really talk about the toll that it might take. Or the uh, impacts on their own lives. So support groups really allow them to talk frankly with other people they know are in that same position. And they can talk about stresses with others who understand. Um, And the other very important thing, I think, is to be able to share ideas and resources with each other. So I think they're, they're really important.
0: And a part of support is respite. And so I guess if two-part question for you. if One, of you could define for us what, what respite means for caregivers and then why it's important to offer respite services.
1: Well, very broadly, respite services just talk about getting our caregiver a break. And that can take um, any type of form from maybe they need care for their loved ones so that they can take a vacation, maybe, you know, a daughter or son is, finds it very difficult to bathe a mother or father. So they get the respite by having someone come in and be able to provide bathing for them. Um, they might uh, need just something for themselves. So self-care is also part of it. We've had people who've gotten a Y membership, maybe just getting in the water and swimming or someone who's had some massage. So whatever that person needs to give them a break, we really try to work around that.
0: And I'm so glad you offer that because one of my experiences in clinic is that caregivers often feel guilty about needing a break or not even recognizing that they need that break. And it's just so important to not only let people know what is available, but now to have a group of people able to help provide that respite. You know, I wonder too, because there are barriers not only to respite, there are barriers to keeping people at home. And so, what do you see are some common barriers that people experience to remain at home, whether you have a disability or just a chronic condition?
1: I think, um, as I mentioned before, aging in place um, does not always lend itself well to, to the, the space that people have lived in for their lifetime. So, of course, there's fall risks we can help eliminate, things like that. So, definitely, we're looking at things to help them adopt to where they live. Another really Uh, important need for people is transportation and I'm sure driving cessation is something that a whole uh, podcast could be done on discussion um, with that but it's made so much easier when there is an option available so the grant can provide for helping people with that Um, the other thing is access to meals and meals on wheels or home delivered doesn't work for everybody so one thing we can help with is You know, having a service provider come in and do some preparation, help them with the shopping. So all of those are things that can help overcome some of those barriers. Is there an income restriction level on who can apply for the program? There is not. For the National Family Caregiver Support Program, there is no eligibility requirement in terms of income.
0: Oh, wow. And then as far as the care recipient, do you have to have dementia
1: or a form of cognitive impairment to receive that help? No, you do not. Um, it is available to persons who are providing care to anybody who's an adult age 60 plus although it does prioritize services to low-income families and older adults with dementia. So while it's a priority, it is not a restriction to other people who would have uh, need to participate in the grant program.
0: Now, I imagine there's probably an increased demand, but with the COVID-19 and the shelter at home, are you seeing more people applying for
1: funds? We're seeing people apply for funds differently, which probably makes sense in that uh, if you were availing yourself of adult daycare, now some people are switching over. We're looking at trying to find them some in-home providers. Um, People are looking help with uh, nutrition in particular, and we are helping them find ways to get groceries and meals to their care recipients, uh, or in the case of the spousal caregivers for them in their household. Uh, The other really deep concern is about social isolation. And several people have worried a lot about uh, maybe a parent living alone or a neighbor. And we are trying to develop more programs to reach out. Uh, Right now, we're looking at a way to bring music therapy to people via video so that someone can come into their home and do something active and uplifting with them. So it's really changed how we're trying to flex what we've been doing. It seems like you have
0: such a broad array of opportunities and such creativity in trying to help people. Now, I imagine there's going to be some increased interest after this podcast. If someone was interested in applying for the program, who do
1: they contact? If they're living in Dane County, they can contact me and they can actually call me. I am taking calls now and working with folks and they can reach me at 608 261-5679, or they can check out the website, which is aaa.dcdhs.com for more information. If any of the listeners are in other Wisconsin counties, they can go to wisconsincaregiver.org. And on that homepage, there's a map. Of the counties, you click on your county and you will find where to get your caregiver program information. And if anyone is listening who is not in Wisconsin, they can just contact their local area agency on aging or their local area aging and disability resource center. And they would be able to refer them onto a caregiver program.
0: That's wonderful. And we'll also have those resources listed on our website. You know, thank you so much, Jane, for, for being on Dementia Matters. And we really appreciate your time and all of this helpful information.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Please subscribe to Dementia Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research, Education, and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private university, state and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Bonnie Nutkinson and edited by Bashir Adeen. Our musical jingle is Organisms by Chad Crouch. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at dementia matters at medicine.wisc.edu. That's dementia matters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.